Hi, my name is Marcelo Jauregui Volpe, and this is The Climate Divide, a new podcast from Hola Cultura, supported by Spotlight DC and the Fund for Investigative Journalism. Any local resident will tell you that the summer heat in Washington, D.C. can be suffocating. But if you were to stand in the Palisades neighborhood at the far northwest corner in Ward 3, then go to Brooklyn in the northeast, you might notice a stark difference, even though both locations are in the same city. That's because the way neighborhoods are developed can actually make drastic changes to the on-site temperature. This is something known as the urban heat island effect. What exactly is a heat island? To learn more about this phenomenon, we spoke with Brenda Perez Amador, a program analyst for the Department of Energy and the Environment's Office of Urban Agriculture. The heat island effect happens in cities in highly urbanized areas. The pavement, the cement will actually get really hot during hot summer days. It's so important because we see that the temperature from when you're standing on the street versus a green space is very different. This happens because concrete, asphalt, and roofs in urbanized areas absorb heat and re-release it to the atmosphere. So the average roof reflects about 7% of the solar radiation that hits it, which means 93% gets absorbed. That was Lawrence Coxstein, a climate scientist who has studied extreme heat in Washington, D.C. and many other cities in the U.S. The studies Coxstein has led use computer simulations to determine how incorporating more reflective materials, like painting roofs, building walls, and asphalt surfaces lighter colors, could reduce temperatures in cities. Another crucial adaptive measure is planting trees. One of the reasons heat islands have surged in Washington, D.C. is because for the past several decades, many parts of the city have become rapidly urbanized while tree coverage has dropped. In 1999, the Washington Post had published an article reporting that the tree canopy in D.C. had gone down to 30%, when in 1950 it was 50%. Local resident Betty Brown Casey read that article and became very concerned. She decided to do something about it and founded Casey Trees, an organization focused on restoring, enhancing, and protecting the tree canopy in Washington. We spoke with Kelsey Desmond, Casey Tree's Youth Programs Coordinator, about why tree planting is crucial. Why is it important to plant trees and to create more green spaces in the city? So we are seeing that Washington, D.C. is getting hotter and hotter every year as the climate changes. So planting trees can combat this effect because they provide shade, but they also, through the process of transpiration, will release water. And that cools the temperature. And then finally, uh, trees, um, among other things, trees can also reduce our carbon emissions. Trees can improve air quality. They also provide habitats for wildlife. So we're seeing the return of the bald eagles, for example, to Washington, D.C., in part because the forest is returning and the waterways are becoming cleaner. You can feel this difference, especially at night, when dense urban areas stay very warm, even though the sun is set, whereas a park might actually feel cool on a summer night. This is not a recently discovered phenomenon by any means. It's actually got a really long history. So the, the urban heat island effect was discovered in like the early 19th century, like wow. 1820s, by this by this guy, Luke Howard. He basically put like a thermometer in the downtown of London and then one out in the countryside. Basically observed that throughout the year. That was Jeremy Hoffman the David and Jane Cohen scientists at the Science Museum of Virginia, who has been involved in two important heat islands campaigns in 2017 and 2018. In the former campaign, which Hoffman co-led with Vivek Shandas, professor of climate adaptation at Portland State University, citizen scientists attached temperature sensors to their cars and drove around DC on a sweltering day in August. The data set produced during this campaign 
help create heat maps that help us understand just how much heat varies across the city. What these maps so clearly indicate is that in some neighborhoods in Washington, D.C., certain residents are more at risk of suffering health problems during extreme weather events. The use of Geographic Information Systems, GIS, to perform spatial and geographic analyses can also help create maps of the tree canopy in a region. Both heat and tree canopy maps are what the folks at Casey Tree use to determine which neighborhoods to work in. When we spoke with Kelsey, we spoke about which neighborhoods had the most and least tree cover. Before I go to Kelsey, I should quickly note that DC is divided into eight wards. Wards one, two, and six are roughly in the center. Ward five is mostly the upper northeast quadrants. Ward three is in the upper northwest. Ward four is in the northernmost portion of the city. And wards seven and eight are mostly southeast, east of the Potomac River. It's important to break this down because these wards will be referenced throughout the course of this podcast. And it's useful to think about how development and funding decisions have influenced the composition of these neighborhoods. What are some of the other neighborhoods or like wards that have sort of the least tree canopy? And then what are some that you notice that have the most? When I first read the articles about urban heat island effect, I noticed that Brookland is one of the hottest parts of the city. And that is where our headquarters is. Ward one is probably the least treed part of the city. It's right in the center of the city. So think Columbia Heights, Adams Morgan. The most treed part of the city would be Ward 3, so Northwest DC, where Rock Creek Park is. I'm also thinking about Tenley Town and American University, like very well treed. How did this happen? Why do certain neighborhoods have more trees and green spaces than others? What are the development decisions that led to a higher concentrations of heat absorbing surfaces in Ward 5 versus Ward 3? What we're seeing now is the outcome of decades of housing discrimination in the United States. Universally, we know that heat is becoming a growing issue. That's true whether you're international, but also very much at the local government level. That was Jennifer Lee, a staff attorney and adjunct professor at the Georgetown University Law Center's Harrison Institute for Public Law, who focuses on climate change adaptation from a community equity perspective. Washington, D.C. is one of many cities that was shaped by the discriminatory housing policy known as redlining. Starting in the 1930s, the Homeowners Loan Corporation created what they called security maps, where they literally drew red lines through neighborhoods where residents of color live, labeling them risky investments, which made it harder for aspiring homeowners to get mortgages and meant far less government and private investment. The U.S. Supreme Court deeming racially restrictive covenants as unenforceable, and the passage of the Fair Housing Act in 1968 got rid of redlining. But many neighborhoods that are predominantly home to people of color continue to suffer from the consequences of continuous decades of neglect and underinvestment. One of the points that this podcast wants to make evident is that there is a clear link between housing discrimination and heat islands. We are going to visit all these different parts of the city to hear about what it's like to actually live in or near a heat island and how past and present neglect has led to an insufficient amount of trees and an overabundance of impervious surfaces in certain neighborhoods. We will speak to experts and officials about the terminology and different initiatives to mitigate heat. But at the end of the day, this is a podcast about stories, about how DC residents are affected by heat, and how heat islands are a clear indicator of the disproportionate impact of climate change. Each week, we'll also bring you new local reporting about DC's heat islands and breaking news on the topic. The Climate Divide is edited by me, Claudia Peralta Torres, and Jose Luis Mendoza. Additional interviews were conducted by Lucia Matamoros. Christine McDonald is a series editor and executive director of Hola Cultura. 
This project is supported by Spotlight DC, the Capital City Fund for Investigative Journalism, and the Fund for Investigative Journalism.